0: Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. As we kick off a new week, our conversation today will follow up on a variety of topics related to both the economy and financial markets, including the recent labor report, upcoming inflation readings, monetary policy, and the near-term road ahead for infrastructure negotiations. Joining me here on the line for the conversation, glad to welcome back to Top of the Morning, Jason Dreho, head of Asset Application Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So Jason, as always, it's nice to be with you. Thank you for spending some time with us today. Hope you enjoyed a nice summer weekend and looking forward to our conversation.
1: Thank you, Danny. It's great to be here at the start of another week.
0: Absolutely. So uh, Jason, perhaps we can begin by reflecting on this past Friday. I know for the month of May, we did receive the May employment report and those jobs numbers were a bit below expectations. However, the market did react positively as we witnessed on Friday. So Jason, how do you interpret the report as an indication of the economic recovery here in the U.S.?
1: Well, we can review it in a a few different ways. The first the number was a little bit below expectations because the expectation was or consensus around 650,000, and you know they came in, in at uh, you know 566. Uh, so a little bit below expectations, but the April number was revised up around 25,000. So you add that to the main number, and it was below expectations around you know, 60,000. So close enough uh, that, given the, you know the errors involved, I think the, you know it's sort of roughly in line. Uh, but definitely kind of, you know, a uh, little bit below expectations. So you could read it as okay, disappointing, but the fact that the market responded favorably, I think, you know, also speaks to the fact that from a market perspective, it wasn't actually a, a reasonably decent report because it showed strong labor market recovery still, but because of the little bit below expectations and the labor market still is not recovering as fast as, you know, the Fed, or I think most investors expected as we started this quarter, it also suggest that the Fed is going to be, a little bit slower in, in terms of, uh, you know, withdrawal and support, whether it's tapering, uh, you know, raising rates, just because the labor market recovery is not going as quickly as they may be, you know, expected, which is why we saw rates pull back a little bit on a Friday. I think equities responded favorably. I would take that with a grain of salt because on a summer Friday, a nice weekend, you know, tend to be a little bit quieter. So, um, you know, lower volumes, we, you know, don't want to interpret too much in terms of one day's price action. But the date itself was, I think, you know, better than, you know, the fact that it was sort of below expectations. But if we look at it in sort of the context of the labor market recovery, you know, there was this view that we'd be getting a million jobs per month or uh, every month in the second quarter, even maybe into the summer. And so by Labor day we'd have five million new jobs. We're running at less than half of that. If you add an April and May, you know, job total, it doesn't even get up to you know, a million jobs. So it's you could be viewed as concerning, you know, but I think another way to think of it is that rather than having this sort of peak in terms of second quarter growth, especially even in a labor market recovery, what appears to be is more of a plateauing, so that we could be going through the fall jobs growth of in this range of five hundred thousand seven hundred fifty thousand, maybe even a little bit higher, but for multiple months. And so the concerns that the we'd be the economy would accelerate in the second quarter and then start to moderate, it might be more of a sort of drawn out process, which isn't necessarily a bad thing uh, if we still get to the same endpoint kind of by year end. I think we're still kind of expecting that. Uh, so from the market perspective, I think it's. it's it's okay. Um, and, and not so sort of what we expected, but in given, given the overall dynamic and how this will play out over the coming, you know, three, six, nine months, I think it's still consistent with a, you know, strong, robust recovery, but maybe not as, white hot as the uh, expected you know, two months ago
0: So Jason another point of interest on the economic calendar that we actually spoke about on last Monday's podcast this coming Thursday we will be receiving a reading on CPI consumer price index inflation and some forecasters expect it to be higher than last month but also the peak in inflation So Jason how do you view the inflation outlook at this stage
1: So in terms of the actual number uh, you know last month it was 4.2% you know, forecast for this month, for the main number is closer to 5%. So we're going to get a further uptick, which is just going to further fuel, you know, concerns about inflation being, you know, out of control. Uh, but it's also very likely that this will be the peak in terms of the monthly increases in inflation. We'll start to see a moderation as we move into July and we get the June and thereafter. Uh, so one, it's, I think, looking at is higher, but it's also the peak inflation. And I think for the markets itself and in the market narrative, already kind of in that view. And I could see it about two weeks ago when investors were sort of, you know, just sort of chatting about, you know, where is inflation to go? Well, it's probably peaking out as we speak. uh, And it's going to moderate from there. And that gives, I think, people some kind of comfort in the market instead of kind of pricing that dynamic. Which then, given that sort of context, I think there's three kind of key things the way I would think about inflation at this point in time. You know, one is that it's still likely to be sort of transitory, you know, meaning that the surge of inflation upwards close to 5% is not going to persist. We're going to moderate uh, as the year goes on, and then a year from now, once these sort of base effects you know kind of reverse, we'll actually see a you know decline back towards kind of closer to you know, the two percent range in about you know twelve months so ultimately still transitory but that leads to the second point, which is that I think the risk of it being transitory uh, has or, or not being transitory has increased relative to what we would have thought maybe two months ago, and it's not just because the inflation date is high but we start to look at some of the other in line dynamics of the, of the economy, the labor market, which just talked about an example where, you know, wage growth is higher than expected. The job growth isn't as fast as expected. So maybe the labor market is a little bit tighter than we presumed. And that could apply to other parts of the economy in terms of your know, product production, you know, supply chains, uh, so I think the risk of inflation remaining elevated for a longer pin time, I think that risk has gone up at least a little bit. Uh, because they're just things that are kind of harder to explain in terms of the reopening of the economy. And that leads to a kind of third point that even if it's still transitory, but the risk of a little bit higher inflation persisting has gone up, I think what we know that investors are probably reasonably confident with is that this inflation story, the concerns about inflation, are going to continue to be sort of a pretty dominant narrative for the next six months and probably next year, and maybe a little bit longer than that, even if it turns out that inflation 12 months from now is back closer to 2%. Uh, and what that means is that sort of, that creates potential volatility in the markets. It creates uncertainty for having clear direction in terms of, you know, asset class performance. Uh, it can lead to, you know, some choppiness in terms of the you know, equity market performance warning how the Fed is going to respond to this. Um, so I think it, it's a bit more difficult, challenging environment to, to navigate relative to what we would have thought three months ago or two months ago even. Um, so even if inflation is transitory, I think it just, to get to that point might be a little more challenging than we anticipated, uh, you know, before the surge of inflation
0: began. Sticking with inflation, though, perhaps in context to what it might mean for the path forward for monetary policy, I want to tie this into a headline from over the weekend. We did hear from former Fed Chairman and current Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Uh, She did mention over the weekend at the G7 Finance Minister's meeting that slightly higher rates would be a positive from the Fed's point of view, and same with inflation. So, Jason, what do you think Secretary Yellen meant by that?
1: Well I think there's two elements. One is just the interest rate and inflation dynamic for the really the decade prior to the pandemic was well, something that the you know the Fed, I think economists you know wouldn't really like to repeat because inflation was struggled to get really above two percent for any citizen sustained time period. Uh, we were in this kind of lower for longer regime of you know, lower growth. Lower inflation and therefore lower rates. So it's not a good economic environment uh, that you, you you want to be in because it just sort of underwhelming it and it leads to a number of other you know potential problems. It also means the risk of deflation you know is, is elevated because all it takes is some sort of shock to kind of get slower growth or go into recession. So having a situation where inflation is not struggling to get to two percent, but maybe it's a little bit over two you know, percent persistently, you know, two to two and a half percent after the past decade that wouldn't necessarily be a bad outcome actually to be a you, know, a you know a sign of you know kind of a healthier economy same thing with rates uh, as a knock on consequence if it means you know the 10 year is more consistently around two and a half three percent or even a little bit above as opposed to hovering around two percent or below that wouldn't necessarily be you know a bad sign for the economy overall even if it does mean your borrowing costs are a little bit higher so that's one perspective is the information or the signal saying about the health of the economy the second is, from just the Fed perspective, um, and I think is thinking through her lens of a, you know, a monetary policy official again, is that if you have a little bit higher inflation, but you also have higher rates, it actually gives the Fed more scope later on to be able to cut rates, you know, if and really when there's another recession. Because if we are stuck at rates where they currently are and you get another recession, well, then monetary policy really is, has is almost has no ability to do anything. Versus you know, get in you know, the 10-year rate above, you know, three uh, percent. the Fed funds policy rate can get to two and a half to three percent, it gives them scope then to be able to cut rates to have a more stimulative impact when there is a recession. So that would give make the Fed's life easier at some point in time. So I think there's also that idea of um, a more normal economy, side the more normal economy, but it also gives the Fed a little bit more policy scope or, or, or kind of dry powder if and when that next recession or slowdown materializes. I think that's what she's talking about when this would actually be a positive thing.
0: Thank you, Jason, for providing some clarity in terms of what Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen meant and what it might mean for monetary policy going forward. So I do want to switch gears a bit, pivot, and maybe talk about fiscal policy. And I know all eyes have been on the potential infrastructure packages out of Washington, D.C. We did see on Friday that House Democrats unveiled their own infrastructure bill. And from the committee, it sounds, like the cost would be around $547 billion over five years. But again, still a proposal at this point, And it sounds like that this week ahead will be key for negotiations in general as the clock is ticking. So, what are your expectations, Jason, in terms of what we might see from negotiations this week and how the markets might be interpreting all of this?
1: Well, we may not hear that much this week because both the House and Senate were on holiday last week it's due to the shortened Memorial Day weekend. So the Senate is back this week. The House is back next week. So we may not hear much more from the House until we kind of hear everyone back next week. Um, then I think the next step is on, on, on both levels, but certainly on the house, is we're going to start to get you know these proposals and sort of more concrete proposals go into various committees to review it, whether it's a, you know finance committees, you know ways and means things of that sort, to start to kind of scope out some of the you know the details of what could actually you know these packages entail. And as that process takes place, that's where sort of you know behind closed doors will probably be negotiations primarily among republic or Democrats in terms of. You know what? You know what are the features they you know def- definitely most want, and what are the ones they can kind of you know, you know kind of give up or willing to give up in terms of getting the package done. So I think the next month we'll kind of start to kind of crystallize that. With the idea is we'll have a better idea at the end of June into early July of you know what was likely to materialize in terms of a, a package, um, and then also in order to move forward. They have to the draft some budget reconciliation legislation, and now with you know more precise details from the Biden administration in terms of the budget, but also the Green Book you know, implications uh, for this you know the spending and the tax you know proposed tax increases, it gives them ability to kind of start to scope out you know what this could entail. So it'll probably be a few more weeks before more concrete details start to emerge in terms of what we're seeing and seeing from both the House and Senate, but also start to kind of coalesce you know more along the lines of like what is. Is realistic. Our view is that relative to the Biden administration proposal of, you know, a little over, you know, $4 trillion in spending and, you know, a little over $3 trillion in tax increases, our likely result will be kind of, you know, cutting them, those numbers in half, maybe even slightly less in terms of what's in the final in the package. Uh, but the details then you know, matter a great deal. I think that's going to take at least a few more weeks before we start to get a better sense of where things are shrinking
0: out. Well, there's a lot there to follow up on. It sounds like June in general will be a key month for infrastructure negotiations, though thank you for bringing us up to speed on where we currently stand, Jason, and of course we can follow up on this topic on future podcasts. So as we begin to wrap things up for this morning, Jason, can you remind us of how the Chief Investment Office is currently recommending that investors position their portfolios in light of some of these items that are outstanding, but also given where we are on the Forward for the economic recovery right now.
1: So I think it's important to put in context that you know the economy is very strong right now. The data is very you know, solid. Growth is going to be over probably nine percent in the second quarter. So it's a very strong you know, situation. I think as we talk about you know the jobs number disappointing, it's still you know good momentum. So I think the the macro backdrop of the recovery of support of you know both monetary and fiscal policy it's still very much in place. Which to me means you know the bull market still has more to go. But from this stage, it's more of a grind rather than a sprint, uh, you know, in terms of further upside. And especially during the summer, when I think the you know, volumes are gonna probably lighten up, I think people now, especially that the economy is gonna open up, they're not to travel, they're maybe not be sitting at their computer screens as much, you uh, know, so that can lead to also some volatility during the course of the summer. So, directionally, you know, higher, but you know, more of a grind than a, you know, probably straight line, uh, you know, than, than we saw, at this stage uh, or to the stage of their recovery. Uh, and what we've seen in the markets overall, the equity markets for the U.S. for the past two months, is that sort of drift a little bit higher, a lot of choppiness to, to get to that point. Uh, in terms of positioning, you know, we still think if we take a six-month horizon, you know, through year-end even, that the you know, value sectors, you know, such as energy and financials are well-positioned for the economic recovery, but also concerns about, you know, potentially higher inflation, higher rates. Um, there's still some scope for small-cap stocks to do well in this environment. Uh, looking outside the U.S., there is, I think scope for catch-up. Um, so while they're the kind of the catalyst for U.S. markets, is still kind of a bit of a question mark to go higher. I think if you look at other parts of the world, especially whether it's in the emerging markets, you know, Japan is an area that we've liked. You know, these are areas that are lagging much behind in vaccinations, but they're picking up. They're kind of lagging a little bit in terms of opening up the economies. So as they do, I think that you know, kind of catch-up you know, to the U.S. is still much, you know, it's still very much in focus. And that's something that we've, um, you know, we've even seen in the markets just the past couple of weeks. Then in terms of rates, uh, you know, the 10 years hovered around like 1.55, 1.6%. 1. It's really been in a range of 1.45 to 1.75, you know, for the past couple of months. And we think that's likely to continue through the summer. Find some sort of, you know, Fed surprise or some data that really is, is kind of completely unexpected. So a bit of, a um, kind of shrug your shoulders underwhelming situation for, you know, the rates market, the fixed income markets, um, uh, you know, which to me seems kind of sleeping fixed income, but I think it also sets up scope for, you know, maybe some surprises, or at least once the Fed potentially announces, you know, more details on, on sort of tapering plans, we think in, in August, um, that could cause some sort of you know, volatility at that point in time. And finally, just commodities, you know, they've been grinding higher. We still see more upside in them, especially in oil and in sort of industrial metals. Tide really took another global economy fully, really opening up. Um as supply is somewhat constrained and well demand's gonna kinda of ramp up through the rest of the year. And commodities have the attractive feature that they're also tend to do well if inflation rises. Um, they're one of a few asset classes that can, you know, actually perform well in that situation. So even without significant inflation, commodities can do well. But if we do get inflation, you know, even on a relative basis, they can do well. So that's kind of roughly what we're thinking in terms of Asset allocation had a position given the current market dynamic.
0: Well, Jason, very timely and productive conversation to begin a new week. And as I mentioned, we'll continue to keep a very close eye on these economic and policy developments over the next few weeks and follow up as we learn more. Though, thank you very much for the insights provided to our listeners, our clients today, including the guidance on asset allocation. And hope you have a great week ahead, Jason. Look forward to having you back on again with us soon. You too. Have a great week. And again, today we've been joined by Jason. Drejo, the Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. The UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, as well as portfolio allocation. These resources can all be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO. Now, for clients of UBS, you can also contact your financial advisor if you would like to learn more or receive a copy of any of the publication's or blogs directly top of the morning is part of the ubs market moves podcast channel which is available where podcasts are found including on itunes spotify TuneIn, stitcher and pandora visit ubs.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering as well as the new ubs trending video series from ubs studios i'm dan cassidy thank you for joining us